This is one of those days that we're all thankful we live in Florida, not up north, right? No snow to deal with, no ice. Uh, a, fellow, uh, a fellow pastor and brother of mine uh, this morning, I saw that he had to cancel his service up in Rochester, New York, uh, because they were blizzard. There was a blizzard. I'm very thankful that the Lord has providentially put us in this heat box. It's a good thing. It's good to see everybody this morning. We deal with our hurricanes, right? (laughs) Last week, we looked at the first part in our Survival 101 lesson from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle was in prison awaiting his execution, and Paul pins this letter of 2 Timothy to his son in the faith, Timothy. He gives wise words explaining how the disciple of Christ is to survive in a wicked world. In chapter 3, and even at the beginning of chapter 4, we see several hints of the wickedness of the world and how we need to survive in the midst of it. In 3, 1 to 9, obviously that's all about the wickedness of the world and the false teachers. It's brought up again in verse 13. Notice, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's carrying along that theme of the world, the wickedness of the world that we live in. And then in chapter 4, he brings up the idea again in verse chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Notice it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So what do we have here? Here is the world that we live in. This is the age we live in. How do we survive? How do we thrive in this world that is obviously filled with wickedness and false teachers and false teaching and and all these things that can distract us from the truth? So again, today we have the privilege of hearing wise words from the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see how we survive. Last week we examined the first two of four imperatives necessary for survival in the world. First we saw Paul exhorted Timothy to understand the times. Understand the times. Remember in verse 1, but realize this. And that was a command, an imperative, that Timothy needed to understand what he was living in and who he was living around, and the age that he was living in. Then in verse 5, he gave a second imperative, and he says, turn away from deceivers. At the end of verse 5, it says, avoid such men as these. So again, he's giving these commands, not because he wants them to be burdens. He's giving him these commands because he loves them, and he cares for him. Again, I think it's so important for us to reflect back on this. When we as parents tell our children to do something, we don't do it, hopefully, most of the time. We don't do it because we hate our children. We do it because we love our children, right? We want to help them. We want to protect them. We want the best for them. The Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. He's telling Timothy what you do so that you can survive and actually thrive in a very wicked world. Now today we turn to the third imperative that's necessary. 
to follow in order to survive in this wicked world. It's remain in the Scriptures. Remain in the Scriptures. The primary command is given in verse 14. Notice in verse 14, it says, You, however, continue in the things you've learned. That's the main command, imperative. You, Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned. The things Timothy had learned are developed in the verses before verse 14 and then after verse 14. So there's kind of two halves in the middle of this section. This one little subsection, you have the beginning of where he learned from the Apostle Paul. And then the second half is where he learned from his upbringing and the study of the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings. All of what Timothy learned is related to the revelation of God in Scripture. What Paul preached to him and lived, and what Timothy's mother and grandmother taught and lived. So it's the Scriptures. Continue in the truth, in the Scriptures. That's the main point of this whole section. Paul makes an emphatic contrast between Timothy and the evil ones of this world in our passage today. Notice that he, he, he points him out specifically in verse 10. Now you. That's em, as emphatic as you can get. You can translate it this way. But you yourself followed my teaching. Then again, the contrast is brought up again in verse 12. Notice he says, or rather in verse 14, he says, you, emphatic, However, continue in these things. Paul both affirms and exhorts Timothy to be different than the wicked false teachers of the age. The whole section is Paul's exhortation to remain in the truth which is in Christ Jesus. That, this is what he's done throughout this letter, hasn't he? And we repeat it over and over and over. Do we need to hear it again? Oh yes, we need to hear it again. You too, beloved, everybody in this room, you too, remain in the truth. Stay in the scriptures. Today we're going to unpack this. and I hope you're all going to be encouraged to remain faithful to the Lord as you pursue Him in the Word of God. We will unpack Paul's exhortation to remain in the truth so that we will walk in the truth, till glory, even in this wicked world. So let's look at four wise principles for the children, the child of God to take to heart so that we will remain in the truth, surviving this world all the way to glory. The first principle is we should, and this is last week, sorry, we're focused on, I was going slow. Four wise principles for the child of God to take to heart so that we will remain in the truth, surviving the world, this world, all the way to glory. So what's the first principle? Let's look at it. It's verses 10 and 11. We should follow the righteous examples of other mature believers. We should follow the righteous example of other mature believers. Look at verse 10. Now you followed, past tense, you followed my teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, 
and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Out of them all the Lord rescued me. Again, it's emphatic. He starts with, now you. You yourself, Timothy, followed. This points to Timothy's previous careful view of Paul's words and deeds. He saw it. He observed it. But it doesn't only say that he saw it. It doesn't imply just that he saw it. But he also was committed to replicating what Paul did. So the word follow doesn't mean just watched it. It means watched it and then was committed to replicate it and to imitate it and to do what Paul had done and to act like Paul had acted and to live like Paul had lived. So he was committed to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. He was committed to modeling himself after the Apostle Paul. Paul had given Timothy a clear example to follow, hadn't he? We know from other passages, follow me as I follow Christ. He set that example out there. Paul then gives nine features of his life and his ministry. Timothy had witnessed and was committed to imitating. Now, I have to admit to you, as I was thinking through this, I don't know if I could write this yet. I don't know if I could write this yet. How about you? You followed my teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, and persecutions, and suffering. Could anybody in the room write this and, and, and have the confidence that the Apostle Paul could have to say these words? Well, we got to remember a couple of things about the Apostle Paul, right? Where was he? He was in jail, facing his death, and he had done it for years. This is like somebody that had walked with the Lord for a long time and reflecting back on what God had done in his life. He wasn't bragging on himself. He was, reflect, he was acknowledging the grace of God that was working in his life, and he was saying, look, you followed what I did. I did it. I walked through this. I want to be able to say these kind of things. How about you? Everybody in the room, I want to be able to say something like this at the end of my life where somebody did follow me. I want to be able to say this. It's only by the grace of God that we can, right? And as we keep our eyes fixed and focused on the Lord Jesus. So Paul gives nine features of his life. The first three deal with Paul's ministry. The next four describe how Paul sought to accomplish his ministry. And then the last two are the hurdles Paul encountered while accomplishing his ministry. Let's look at these. Briefly look at this testimony Paul displayed for Timothy. First, he says, the, uh, the, the my there, my teaching, is assumed to be associated with all the list of all the other things. You understand that. It's, it could literally be translated, my teachings, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, all the way down to my persecutions and my sufferings. This is what Paul had endured. When Paul says, my teachings, the Timothy had observed and was committed to following, it was what Paul taught it was the word. It was the doctrine. It was the substance of what he preached and proclaimed and counseled concerning the gospel and the word. Just a side note here. How many of you want people to follow what you say and do what you say and speak like you speak? How many of you want that? Do you want your children 
your grandchildren to talk like you talk and teach like you teach. Ouch, right? Lord, help us. Help us to talk and teach exactly what you would talk and teach. We follow Christ as others follow us. My teaching, my conduct is what Paul says. The way Paul lived his life, what he did, how he acted, the way that he lived, my conduct, my purpose. Paul's focus, his priority, his purpose, his will, which lined up with God's will. Paul's purpose was what? To glorify God by living for and proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was all about. To me, to live is Christ. The die is gain. It was all about exalting Christ. His purpose in life was the same purpose after his conversion as the apostle, as God Himself. It's to exalt Christ. So Paul says, Timothy, you saw it, and you're committed to following it. That's what you're about. Is what we teach, beloved. And the way we live, and the, primary, and the primary focus of our lives, something we want others to follow. That's a great question, isn't it? It is a, a good reflection for us to think on. Do we want our kids, how many of you have seen your kids do something that you did? You know, and you, oh, they got that one from me. They're definitely following the way I do that. Then you hear them say something. Where did you get that? that? You've never heard that before. Yes, I have. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I want people to see Christ in me. And that's what the Apostle Paul has done. I want people to see Christ in me and that I live and act and live like he lived. Honoring and loving and serving and saying and conducting myself the way he did. I need Christ. How about you? Apostle Paul gave a beautiful example. So the question is, is do we want people to say and teach what we've taught? Do we want people to live the way that we live? Do we want others to have the same priorities that we have? At the same time, in order for this to happen... Listen closely, we must also put ourselves in the role of Timothy. We need to associate with people who teach what we need to hear and say what needs to be said. We need to put ourselves around those that are honoring God and then follow them as they follow Christ. We need to follow people who live the way of the Master, right? Those are the people we need to follow. We need to model ourselves over those who prioritize the right things. Oh, this is so important. The world, the world is constantly looking for heroes, right? Everybody's looking for a hero. But unfortunately, most of the heroes are not people that we should be following. But hopefully, Grace Bible is a fertile place for us all to find people to follow. That they're focused on Christ and honoring Him. And living for Him. Notice also, we also should follow the example of others who accomplished the previous three ministries. Faith, notice. My faith. 
an act of trust and dependence upon the Lord. We need to look for people that are trusting God and then follow those people. That's what Paul said Timothy does. People that are patient, right? Patient. We need patient people to follow. What are patient people? A person that's at rest in the Lord even in chaos and mistreatment. The world's falling down around them and they just like they just keep going and they're they're not they're kind of even keeled. How many of you want to follow those kind of people? That's who the apostle Paul was. By the grace of God, not because he was better, but that just he was steady. Our world would call those people what? Boring. Oh, you're not emotional enough. But patient people are people that are not swayed to and fro by everything that comes along. They're tranquil. They live tranquil lives. How about people that love? That's what Timothy's doing. He's following a person that loved people. An act of commitment that is sacrificial and unconditional. Somebody that lays down his life for other people. And then finally, a person that perseveres or shows and demonstrates perseverance. An abiding steadfastness under the pressures of the world that doesn't crack and crumble and run and flee. He keeps going. That was the Apostle Paul. Boy, what an example this would have been for Timothy to follow, right? Friends, we need to look for these kinds of people within the church to follow after and imitate. And one of the clearest ways we can see if a person is following after Christ and therefore is someone to emulate is if they display the previous characteristics in suffering and persecution. When the fire's turned up, you can tell whether this is somebody I want to follow. When things get tough, and, and, and Timothy saw this. He saw this in the Apostle Paul. And he saw it all the way through the missionary trips, right, that he was on. Everywhere he went, people were mistreating him. But he still loved people. He still taught the same thing. Timothy had witnessed Paul endure enormous persecution and suffering, stuff that we can't even comprehend. And yet Paul had still loved those who were mistreating him. He had continued to trust the Lord in suffering. He had remained faithful to his purpose, his pursuit of holiness, and his right doctrine. He didn't waver at all. Focused. Paul called to mind the events here in our passage around when Paul most likely met Timothy. Now, it's very important when you look at this. If you look up these cities and you find it in Acts, you'll see the order Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra mentioned in the first missionary journey. So the question I have, and as I was thinking through this, when did Paul meet Timothy? Answer? It, I thought... I thought the second missionary journey, Acts 16. But these events happened in the first missionary journey. So when I first read this, I was like, wait, 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 this baffles me. It doesn't make sense. How is Acts 13, 51, and 14, how is this associated with Timothy when he didn't 
include Timothy until Acts 16? Well, the answer is, is that I believe, and this passage points to, I think he met Timothy on the first missionary journey when he went through these cities because Timothy was from Lystra. He was from that area. So Timothy had saw him the first time through and saw what had happened to him in these cities. He saw him at Antioch when he ran to Iconium, that then ran to Lystra, all in the same area. It was in Lystra that he had been what? He had been stoned and left for dead outside the city. And he had gotten back up and what? Walked right back into the city. They thought he was dead. He gets back up and walks back in. Boy, doesn't that fit perfectly? And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Timothy had seen that amazing event at the beginning. So when Paul comes back through to check on those, those cities, what happens? He picks up, look, Timothy, oh, this is a faithful one, a follower. Let's take him with us. First time through, he had seen Paul endure impossible circumstances. And it must have made a big impact on his heart and his life. Timothy was affected. Oh, beloved, listen to me closely. That some of our best discipleship happens when we endure trials. When we are enduring these trials, these sufferings, these persecutions, and we endure them still glorifying God, still with the same purpose, still with the same conduct, still with the same love and faith and hope and patience. What kind of impact does that have on other people watching? It's huge. It's dramatic. It's life-changing. So listen to me, beloved. Suffering is part of God's divine sovereign plan to help show people the truth. To help them walk with God. It's made a big impact on Timothy. And Paul says, you followed my teachings. You followed my conduct. You followed my love. Even in persecutions and sufferings. So now Timothy was following in those same footsteps. And we know from outside church documents that Timothy was going to suffer martyrdom also. He would follow him all the way to death. Enduring persecution and suffering in a God-glorifying way, has a tremendous effect on those who God has called to himself. They're motivated, they're emboldened. And Paul knew his testimony had impacted Timothy. And Paul was the fruit, and Paul saw the fruit of it, in that Timothy was now following him. It's so important for us to recognize a very important principle here. A life refining and shined, a life refined and shining for God is like gasoline on the fire for those who believe in the same God. It's motivation. It emboldens us. I'll tell you what, walking out of that hospital room or out of hospice the, uh, last week after talking to you, Irvin, I'm still on fire because of that conversation. I, I think I could preach every day for the rest of my life emboldened by your suffering and how you dealt with that, brother. 
just to encourage you. Just lights you up, doesn't it? To see somebody trusting the Lord in a bad situation, in a hard situation, committed to the truth, no matter what. It's motivation, isn't it? And we follow that. It's also important to note, having the teaching without the conduct, purpose, faith, love, patience, love, perseverance, and suffering is usually discouraging. In other words, people that just talk the talk, but then when things get tough or anything happens to them, they blow up and their conduct doesn't match, it makes you doubt the message. It does. You know that, right? You say, I believe in Jesus, but then when things get tough, you say, well, I've had enough of this and I'm going to act like I want. I don't care. It's so discouraging. And it produces wimpy followers of Jesus, doesn't it? So what does this mean for us? We can, by God's grace, look for mature believers to imitate. And we should look for them, can't, shouldn't we? People who teach the scriptures accurately, live righteously, focused on the right priorities, do it trusting in God, patient with others, sacrificially committed to others, and enduring even the hardest of situations. These are the people that we should be following too, as they follow Christ by the grace of God. And we should pray for the Lord to make us these kind of people to follow, right? Lord, help me look like that. Help me look like the Apostle Paul. Just a side note. Sometimes the ones who fit this description are not the coolest and most popular people on the planet. Do you hear me? Children especially, hear me. Your parents might not be cool video game streamers. We may dress old-fashioned. We might wear ties on Sunday occasionally. We may not listen to the coolest songs, and we might be very uncoordinated when it comes to dancing. But if we are committed to Christ and his word and we reflect these characters that are spirit-given characters, then we are people to imitate. We, don't, we say this humbly, don't we, parents? We say also that many, many times we don't always reflect these perfectly. We are still what? Sinners. We still blow it. But follow us in our repentance then. Follow us in those that seek God and humbly go to Him when we mow it, blow it. Follow us. Even though we aren't cool. That's not even the word. What's the cool word to use now? I can't even use cool because I'm not cool by using cool. <laughs> I'm of the opinion now I'm going to stop trying to be cool. And just try to follow Jesus. I just want to follow him. How about you? Parents, I just want to follow him. Also, it's important to note the ones to follow are often the ones in the line of fire of the enemy. 
This brings us to the next picture principle to take to heart. Notice, second, we should understand fully the battle we are in. We must understand fully the battle we are in. This is one of the two ministry axioms in our passage. So you say, what's an axiom? An axiom is a statement which is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. It's just a fact. It's a known fact. Here's the fact. Here's the self-evident truth. We must understand fully the battle we are in. Look at verse 12. Indeed, facts, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Take this as a fact, a truism. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, everyone who desires to live reverentially and God-honoring lives in Christ Jesus, here's your promise, beloved, will be persecuted. That's a fact. Yep. We seek to honor God with our daily lives. Mistreatment from others will come. This isn't a possibility, beloved. This is a promise. Oh, man. In the list of promises, when people write out all the promises of God in this word, nobody lists that promise out. Let me reflect again on the promise of persecution. None of us do that. But it is a promise. In this world we live in that's run by the prince of the power of the air, there's going to be persecution. Not a promise many of us like to quote regularly, but it is a guarantee. And as long as he's in charge on this planet, it's going to happen. In fact, Paul states, persecution is inevitable for the God-seeker. An evil opposition will grow, is what he says. People who hate God get more and more destructive. When they see they don't take you down, guess what? They come back at you at a different angle. They continue to get worse and worse, and they hit you. And then they hit you again, and they come from a different angle. They deceive and are deceived. They are blind, spiritually and are in the business of blinding others. Implied by all of this is pick carefully who and what you follow. You hear me? Listen, this isn't a truth. This is something that you need to take to heart. Pick carefully who you follow. If people are opposed to God, they will only get worse. Unless God grants salvation, which would be great. And the longer we go until Jesus returns, all of this is only going to get worse. We must understand the battle we are in. We will face opposition, and the opposition will grow more and more evil. So my question for all of us is to reflect on, where are we getting our friends? Where are we getting them? You say, well, I, I would get them from church, but those people are kind of strange at church. They're weird, and sometimes they're hard to get to know. They don't always talk, and they're kind of awkward. 
It's so much easier to make friends at work. Hmm. Is it possible that are you also awkward about around other people in the church? Is it possible because we're seeking so much to get it right that sometimes we're not real? Listen, beloved, be careful where you get your friends because they will lead you astray if you're not careful. I love that little illustration that I remember telling the youth over and over when I was a youth pastor. It's much easier to pull someone down than it is for you to pull them up. And you'd get up in a chair and you'd reach down and you'd grab the person's hand and say, now let me try to pull you up or have the person stand in the chair and you pull me up there. It's impossible, but I can pull you down real easy. It's a perfect illustration of exactly what happens in this world. Who we follow is what we become. If you're not careful, they'll lead you into the ditch. Where also are we getting our information? You say, well, Pastor Mike, I can handle you for about 50 minutes to an hour once a week, but that's about it. Mm, there's a problem. There's a lot of hours in the week, and we're putting in a lot of stuff into our brains, aren't we? If all you get is, speak to me, Lord, one hour a week, we're in trouble. Because you're putting a lot of information in. It will lead us astray. Are we reading God-honoring books and biographies of Christians that have been faithful to the Lord? Those are good things to read. Or are we seeking to be entertained always by the world and its ways? But entertainment is so much fun. And it's easy. Oh, friends, listen to me carefully. Evil men will proceed from bad to worse. The world we live in will lead you astray. Those things that are entertaining can often throw you under the bus get you in trouble are we associating with people who pursue holiness people who are love or and people who are lovers of god rather than lovers of pleasure or is it the opposite are we finding ourselves being opposed by uh, opposed for humbly honoring god or are we running down running with those who seek to dishonor god this ministry axiom is a fact. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So pick your, care, your friends carefully and who you follow. Our third principle to take to heart in order to survive is we should remain in the word that we have learned. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. You, however, you, however, again emphatic, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Again, the emphasis is on Timothy himself in contrast to the evil imposters, the evil men of verse 13, Timothy, on the other hand, must continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. 
Again, the things you learned from the Apostle Paul, but also the things that you have learned from your mother and your grandmother, as we'll see, in your child raising. There's so much gold in these verses. You need to take note of this, beloved. Notice the emphasis is on learning or growing and understanding. Those, that concept of learning. It says, things you have learned. Whom you have learned them. And you have known. The command is to continue in the things that you know, that you have learned, that you've been taught. It simply means remain in or abide in or stay with the truth that you have learned. Next we see a different description of the Word of God. Notice it says, the things you have learned, the things you have become convinced of, the things you were taught, the things which were taught from childhood, things... These things are sacred writings. Sacred writings. What is this pointing to? Well, it's obviously pointing to the Old Testament scriptures. This was before the New Testament was completely finished. This was the Old Testament scriptures that Timothy had obviously been raised on. The Old Testament. Aren't we New Testament Christians? Aren't we New Covenant believers? He was raised on the Old Testament Scriptures. He was raised properly on the Old Testament Scriptures. It appears Timothy not only learned the Scriptures from Paul, but he was also taught growing up from his mother and grandmother. Remembering back to chapter 1. Their faith, remember, was mentioned. Lois and Eunice, I think it is. The application is obvious for us all here, isn't it? We need to be teaching our children the Bible also. We need to be teaching those that are growing up the Bible. This is the parents' responsibility, isn't it? This is what we should be about. How important are those classes, those Sunday school classes and those nursery classes and all those classes? Extremely important. How important, how important are those daily devotions that you're doing with your children and with your family? How important is it that you are talking about the Word all the time? We had a nice little sermonette on the way home from our, our uh, party last night. We had a nice discussion. We applied the Scriptures all the way home. I don't know if they knew it, they realized it, but they got a sermon they got an explanation of how the scriptures apply and how there's joy in following Christ and obeying Him. Beloved, it is the parents' responsibility to shepherd their children and point them to the Word day in and day out. It's the grandparents' responsibility to do that too. This is every adult's responsibility in this room. We need to raise our children in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. You know, it's just like we saw in the Old Testament. Moses instructed the children of Israel. They didn't do real good at this, did they? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons 
And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way or when you drive your van home and when you lie down and when you rise up. You get the gist, right? All the time. The scripture should be on our tongues. Apparently, Timothy's mother and grandmother followed this command. Just a side note, when or if your parents... Children, listen closely. When or if your parents stop teaching the Word, it's your responsibility to study it anyway. (laughs) Do you hear me? Don't wait on us to get it right all the time. Go spend time in the Word of God. We can't use this excuse. And how often have we heard this? Well, I was raised in a a non-God-loving, so that's why I do what I do. Well, yes, you're imitating what you did in the past, but we have responsibility too. We all have personal responsibility to taste and see that the Lord is good. So here's the million-dollar question for the children in the room. Does Jesus taste better than a video game? Is Jesus better than a Marvel movie. Men, is Jesus better than a football game? Men, is Jesus better than your job? Grab your Bibles. Taste and see. For the Lord is good. We had a good discussion about this, our children and I. They were like, but it's hard. Hmm. It is harder to read your Bible than to play a video game. Do you think that they might have done that intentionally? They set those video games up just so you will what? Come back to them. The flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing when we are focused on the Lord. The Word is good, beloved. That psalm, when he was reading it today, when Shane was reading it today, were you like, oh yeah, this is good. (laughs) Oh, this is really good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Long for the pure milk of the Word, if indeed you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Interestingly enough, notice Paul states, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus? And the answer is, absolutely yes! You can read the Old Testament and know that Jesus is your only hope. That you need a Savior. The wise understanding of the truth that will produce salvation. We can know who God is and why we need a Savior if we read the Old Testament. We can know God and His righteous standards by reading the Old Testament. And as Jesus said, Moses spoke of me. 
One theme is overwhelmingly clear in the Old Testament as you make your way through that. Mankind is sinful to the core and there is only one hope of deliverance from sin and judgment. It's God's servant, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's the message. You want to summarize the Old Testament? It's there over and over and over. By the way, don't fall into the trap. Y'all know the trap. You're reading through the Old Testament. Those wicked sinners. See yourself in those wicked sinners. Realize, apart from the grace of God, that is us. Righteousness only comes from God, through faith in God, not by self-achievement. We saw that this week in our readings and our devotions, didn't we? Good old Abram. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15. It's a good thing that righteousness comes by being credited, declared right, not by how good you are. Because the next chapter, he's what? Having relations with Hagar. Not good. Beloved, we need to understand this. Timothy had heard this message early on, and Timothy knew deliverance from sin and judgment was found only in Christ Jesus. When Paul showed up and began to unpack the Old Testament in Lystra, it wasn't totally a new truth. It made sense. It was obvious. Yes, the Messiah would come and then die and rise from the dead. It's obvious. We need a Savior. The Old Testament scriptures pointed to a Savior from the Jews who would die to atone for sin. So the transition for Timothy and his mother and grandmother wasn't contradictory to their understanding of wisdom from the Old Testament. It just affirmed it. It was perfectly aligned with it. Everything in the Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. It just reaffirms the truth. It shows our need of God. Now think about this, beloved. How much more do we have? We have the whole New Testament completed. We have a beautiful display of the glory of God and the person and work of Jesus. We have all of this recorded. We know a full exposition of the Savior of the world. We have so much to delight in and enjoy. Grab your Bibles. Read, pursue, taste and see, for the Lord is good. Faith in Him brings salvation to everyone who believes. And this salvation includes both the beginning, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. We are declared right through faith in Christ. Do you understand? That's good news. If you believe in Him, if you repent and believe in Him, your sins are paid for. You are right with God. You are declared right with Him. That is a joyful thing. All of us should be going, yes, good, give me more. And it is also the Word of God is the thing that helps us to put to death sin. For as we are basking in the glory of God, there is one thing I want to avoid more than anything. You ready? When I bask in the glory of God, when I'm looking at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the Scriptures, there's one thing I want to avoid. You know what it is? Sin. I don't want to sin. 
I want to obey God. I want to serve Him. When I'm in this, and I'm really meditating on this, and I'm enjoying the Word, how about you? You're not like, oh, no, I think I'm going to go do something wicked right now. It doesn't work that way. We want to avoid that then. So we follow the words of wisdom found in the Word of God. And I'm not going to get to the last point. Y'all are okay with that, right? We'll just unfold the axiom next week and jump into the next section. I just want to encourage you. You've heard it from this pulpit probably a thousand times. You'll probably hear it at least as long as I'm around and the elders I know on our board. Read your Bible. (laughs) There it is again. Pursue the Lord. Seek Him. We should remain in the word that we have learned and we will be able to survive in this wicked world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that you have given us in our lives. Those who are faithful to your word. Those who love you and love others and are patient and kind and Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you worked in him, the one who persecuted the church, who then turned to you by your grace and gives us an amazing glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus. May we follow him as he followed Christ and as we follow Christ, and may others see Christ in us and then want to follow also. We pray, Lord, that we will raise the children of this church to love your word. We pray that they will long for the pure milk of the word. Lord, I beg you, I pray that everybody in this church will not be able to get enough of you. That we will long and pursue in your word, daily, as much as we can, Lord. Please help us to have hearts that hunger for the scriptures. May you be honored in all that we do. May we live reverential and respectful lives before you. And may you be glorified because you are our We love you. We commit this day to you. In Christ's name.